This is Dish and Dirt with Gary Pickren, South Carolina's only podcast dedicated to the real estate agent's craft. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dish and Dirt with Gary Pickren. I am your somewhat talented but mainly opinionated but always correct host, Gary Pickren. And I'm here today to talk to you all about pocket listings. I know this is going to be a very important topic, so I expect lots of downloads of this episode. We're also going to do a real quick builder minute and finish up with Gary's Good News Only. Now, before we get into the episode, if you like these episodes, please go to our website, BlairCato.com, and you can click on the button on the upper corner and click on the podcast. You can listen to this podcast as well as all the other podcasts we've done over the last few months. Please like us, share us, subscribe to us, and tell all of your realtor friends all about this podcast so we can continue to grow it. Let's dish some dirt on pocket listing. So if you've ever watched an episode of Million Dollar Listing, L.A. or New York, they're always talking about pocket listing. And my favorite character on that show, Josh Altman, always knows of some pocket listing on the Bird Avenues in Los Angeles that no one knows about and that he can get his buyer an exclusive preview of the property before it goes on to the listing service. Now, the reality of that is that pocket listings aren't that simple. In most cases, they're simply problematic for the market, the buyer, the seller, but mainly the real estate agents. And this podcast, while it's likely to educate many of you, it also runs the risk of angering some of y'all who like the pocket listing. But you need to understand the opinions expressed herein are just the opinion of this host, which has this uncanny ability to be correct in his opinions. Just saying. So let's talk about pocket listings. What are pocket listings? Pocket listings are one of the most unique but yet controversial methods of buying and selling real estate in our marketplace today. And most agents don't like them and are very upset about them. Pocket listings became so prevalent that just a year ago, the National Association of Realtors found that up to 30% of all listings were believed to be pocket listings in some of the real estate markets. I don't believe it was that high in the markets in South Carolina, but it certainly was in Los Angeles, New York, and some of the big markets like that. Now, the pocket side or the of this term is really just real estate slang. There's no literal pocket. It is essentially a listing that's represented by a real estate agent who is exclusively selling a property, but he's not advertising that property to the general public. Essentially, what he's doing is advertising it to friends and agents within his own company. So basically, they're keeping that in their pocket, not letting the true market see the listing. Other names for pocket listing include off-market listing, exclusive listings, private listings, or off-MLS listings. So those terms are all the same thing. So how does this pocket listing work? Well, in a typical listing, in a traditional marketed listing, I should say, the seller wants to sell their home and they hire a real estate agent to list the property. Now, the agent will create a listing agreement between the parties, and this is typically called the exclusive right to sale document. MLS has this form. Your brokerage has this form. And the home is immediately listed on the multiple listing service, also known as MLS, and is publicly advertised through what they call an IDX feed. It's where they push out through the MLS to all these various websites to get your client's property maximum exposure. This would include Zillow, the MLS's website, the Realtor.com website, etc., including your brokerage website. But most importantly, every agent in the market sees the property so that it generates maximum interest in the property and all buyers across all spectrums, and it ideally will produce not only one offer, but multiple offers so that the seller can realize a maximum offer on the property. Now, let's compare that to a pocket listing. In a pocket listing, the main distinction is these properties are not listed on the local MLS database, and thus they do not go out through the IDX feed, and they don't go out to the other website. So they won't show up on the MLS, they won't show up in Zillow, Realtors.com, or even the broker's website. And even though this agent has been retained to sell the property and to get the highest 
offer possible for the seller, the seller and or the agent has chosen not to submit it through the MLS or to publicly advertise it, essentially keep the property off market. Rarely do you see a market plan to keep it off entirely. Usually it's just for a few days, so either the agent can shop the property to select people or that the buyer can get the property, or excuse me, the seller can get the property ready for selling. In many cases, the agent's own greed that drives the pocket listing. For example, the seller has not directed the agent to withhold the property from the MLS, but the agent slow plays it to the MLS so that the agent has time to shop it to their preferred buyer list or their preferred group of agents that they want to work with. And of course, most of the time, those are the agents within their own brokerage office. Now, if they're able to shop it to one of their brokers in their own office or a buyer that's represented by someone in their office, this allows the company to earn both sides of the commission, which puts more money in the pockets of the brokerage and also helps helps that agent's buyers find property that other people cannot find. So why would anyone want to do a pocket listing? Well, the sellers do have some valid reason for wanting to do a pocket listing. Sometimes a property is being repaired and staged, and so the seller needs some time before they were willing to entertain any offers. Sometimes a seller has security issues. They may be a famous person, or they've gone through a messy divorce, or they work as a police officer, or maybe even a football coach, and they just don't want the general public coming in and out of their house so much. Sometimes the owner wants the privacy of not having tours of the homes. Um, Sometimes they want to test the market price before they actually go live on the MLS. But there are other avenues for doing this, quite frankly. So if they don't want to have the general public in the house and they don't want private tours of the house, they can also always go to an iBuyer and have the property offered for sale through an iBuyer, which doesn't require all that. Agents like to do pocket listings because they want to keep the money in the firm. They get both the buyer side and the seller side, and they get to reward their buyer clients with the first chance to buy a property, particularly in a market like we're experiencing today, where there is a tight market. This allows an agent who has a listing to shop it to his buyers and reward his buyers for choosing him as their agent. Plus, they get both sides of the commission in that situation. Now, buyers think that if they can buy a pocket listing, they're going to find a piece of property that's for sale that nobody else knows about. And in a low inventory market like we're experiencing today, that this will be very beneficial to them. They also believe that there won't be any competition because they're the only one who knows about the property. So they'll be able to get the only offer in and there won't be a bidding war. So are pocket listings legal? In short, yes. Pocket listings, as long as they're done in the best interest of the client, are completely legal. But sometimes, as I stated, they actually serve to sell the house more effectively, but that's a rarity. And that doesn't mean it's always okay to do it this way. In fact, I don't think you should be using pocket listings, but on a very rare occasion. An example would be a seller calls an agent on the phone and says, hey, I'm interested in listing my house. And the agent says, well, I have a buyer right now who wants to buy a house in that neighborhood. They would be interested. So that seller says, hey, I might not want to list it with you, but let's get this buyer out here. So maybe the buyer goes ahead and and wants to go look at it, and the seller says, well, I'll just go ahead and list the property with you, and that way if your buyer doesn't want it, we'll be ready to go. But where we run afoul of the law as a real estate agent is that you have the fiduciary duties of old car. Remember, obedience, loyalty, disclosure, confidentiality, accounting, and reasonable care. Is that reasonable care not to put the property on the market for everyone to see to generate the highest price? I'm not sure that it is. You also have the consumer choice statutes, which may or not may or may not be violated by this rule. Um, it's not a very well written statute in 40-57. But those are some issues you got to worry about on a legal aspect. But if you are a realtor, member of the Realtors Association, which you should be, 
I think it runs afoul of their rules. Now, according to the Real Estate Realtor Code of Ethics, realtors are required to promote and protect clients' interest. I'm not sure how a pocket listing does that. And when pocket listings become questionable is when they're done in the best interest, not done in the best interest of the client, but in the best interest of the real estate agent. And believe me, that's an easy thing for a real estate agent to think they are doing is doing something in the best interest of the client. But ultimately, the client is going to be the one who determines whether it was in their best interest or not. And we already know how that typically goes. But because pocket listings usually result in the brokerage representing both the buyer and the seller, the broker receives a higher commission, it already puts the pocket listing in question. Now, while that isn't necessarily a violation of the code of ethics or illegal, this should not be the reason an agent suggests a pocket listing because it could set you up for a lawsuit. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. In fact, the National Association of Realtors the board of directors voted to ban this practice of pocket listings on November 11, 2019. And it was so widely disliked at the National Association Realtor Board that the vote was 729 to 70 to pass this resolution. Now, the National Association Realtors policy states, within one business day of marketing a property to the public, the listing broker must submit the listing to the MLS for cooperation with other MLS participants. This is known as a clear cooperation policy. Now, this change came effect January 1st, 2020, but the National Association of Realtors waited until May 1st to implement it in order to provide the 800 MLS services time to adopt this. And in fact, MLS here in Columbia just came out with some new rules on this exact issue, which is now you see the reason why. A lot of people are like, why are these issues coming out now with MLS? This is why. So let's talk about the MLS rules. If your broker is a member of the MLS, which most of you are, you are subject to their rules. By your broker signing the contractual agreement to be part of the MLS, he subjects you to all of these rules, and you have to follow them. And these rules are in place to ensure a free and open market, which is the most important part of being a real estate agent, is having a free and open market, not only for the agent, but for the buyer and the seller. What the rule says at the MLS now, this is talking about the Columbia MLS, is that with the written permission of the owner, either through a withholding listing temporarily form or, as noted in the special step stipulations in the exclusive right to sell contract, a listing can be withheld from the, C- from the MLS database for a period of time, but it cannot exceed 90 days. So why do we have this rule? Well, sometimes you might have a seller who's interested in selling their property, but they're not ready to put it on the market. Remember, under agency rules, you're not allowed to advocate, counsel, or advise a seller unless you're under agency. So oftentimes when they have a house that they know they need to declutter or they need to make repairs on, they want you to provide advice and counsel for them, but they don't want to list the property yet. Well, this gives you the avenue to do that. You get the withhold from listing form signed or you put in special stipulations. You can go ahead and advise and counsel the seller and provide them the information necessary for them to get their house ready for sale. That's how that should be done. You should not be advising them if you don't have a listing agreement. So be sure you get your listing agreement. Plus, this locks them in. They're not going to get free advice from you and then wind up listing the property with some friend or family member they meet at church. Now, during this period of delay, this is very important. The property may not be advertised for sale or published or offered for sale through any medium until the delay period has ended. This also means you cannot install a sign or even an MLS-approved lockbox. It's very important to understand this. The violation is first offense, $250 fine with a warning email. Second is $500 fine. Third is a 1000 fine. Fourth offense is a 30-day suspension from the MLS or penalty is determined by the board. So you need to follow these rules because the penalties are very steep. 
So what is advertising? Advertising would be anything from flyers, yard signs, email blasts, pocket listings, Facebook groups, letting them know about it, digital marketing on public-facing websites, multi-brokerage listing sharing networks, putting anything on a brokerage website display, whether it goes out through IDX or VOW, any application that's basically available to the general public. You can't go around talking about the property to other agents trying to get interest in the property. That's advertising and marketing. Pretty much everything is advertising and marketing. Putting it on Facebook, coming soon, all of that is marketing and advertising. So outside of the MLS rules and the realtor rules, which seem to frown on pocket listings, are pocket listings generally good or bad for the consumer in the marketplace? Well, let's look at it from the agent perspective. Let's say you're an agent that has an office outside the downtown area, and most of the listings downtown go to one or two or three brokerages downtown. That agent that is not in the downtown market, per se, would be completely locked out of the market. If those three brokerages, every time they got a downtown listing, shopped it amongst themselves and shopped it only in their offices in a hot market like we're experiencing today, that agent that is in an outside market in one of the suburbs around downtown would never be able to get a chance of showing their consumers that market. So it locks agents out of the market. It also locks consumers out of the market for that agent. So if I'm a buyer working with an agent in the southeast section of town, and I quickly realize that that agent can never get me a showing or let me see a house in the downtown market, I may end my representation agreement with that agent and go to a downtown agent so that it could lock you not only out of the market, but have the result of your consumers going to people who are in that market. For buyers, it is very problematic. So one of the reasons that the National Association of Realtors passed the clear cooperation policy is because that their desire to promote equal access to information and opportunity. And pocket listings have historically resulted in discriminatory practices. And prior to this ban, with pocket listings, the property would be marketed and sold to those with their own privileged networks, preventing the majority of buyers and agents from having a shot at offers on these deals. Unfortunately, many of these outside buyers were members of minorities who were left with fewer housing opportunities. That was one of the big drivers behind passing this rule. Secondly, for buyers, is that they often were overpaying. These homes for sale as pocket listings are overpriced from time to time. There's no true market value being established. And so they wind up overpaying because they don't know what the true value is. And then most importantly, the missed opportunities and being locked completely out of the market, as we explained earlier. Now, pocket listings, contrary to what some sellers believe, are awful for sellers. They're not getting a true market value of the property. If an agent in a brokerage takes the listing and shops it to five or six agents in his office, those four or five agents and their clients are setting the market value. Compare that to 30 or 40,000 agents in your marketplace having access to all of the same information and all of their buyers and all of those opportunities to establish the market value. So you're not getting a true market value. And oftentimes the seller is selling the property for less than market value. Also, if you're only going to be selling to a select few group, it could take much longer for the seller to sell the property, and they may also wind up accepting an offer with worse terms, where there might have been a cash offer on the table that could have come somewhere else. The only offer they may get may have a lot of contingencies and things of that nature. Now, for the market, pocket listings don't just affect buyers. They affect the entire market. As I've stated many times before, people are simply locked out of the market and it becomes about who you know, and that is not the best way to run a market. Because these are rarely entered into the MLS once they're sold, 
they limit the information available on local housing prices. And both nearby sellers and appraisers use these numbers to determine the current market values of different properties. So without this information, the entire market suffers. It affects the accuracy of the database, which is the MLS. So is there even a good reason for using a pocket listing? Well, for sellers, as I mentioned earlier, they can maintain some of their privacy. They may have upper hand in negotiating prices and their home doesn't have to sit on an MLS. I think there's other avenues, however, as I mentioned earlier, such as an iBuyer that would eliminate the need to keep the house basically quiet so that you don't see have other people coming into your house. So the question begs, is this new rule eliminate the problems with the pocket listing? I say no, it doesn't. The National Association of Realtors Clear Cooperation Agreement does have a huge loophole. And as Alex Martinez of Real Estate Skills mentioned in his article that I read, it says the new rule isn't likely to put a stop to the practice, however, because agents can use other classifications such as coming soon to hold properties out of the MLS and off the market. I think that might violate the MLS rules here in the Columbia market and probably the Greenville market and other markets, but that's something that is happening in other markets. It's just an example, he says, of how agents try to game the system. But saying a listing is coming soon may not be prohibited under their rules, but I do believe it could be forbidden under other rules, such as the multiple listing service rules. But it also could set you up for claims with your client. So remember, once a listing contract is signed, agents have 24 business hours to enter it into the MLS. So an agent who wants to keep a property as close to the best as possible can ask a client to sign the agreement late on Friday night. That way they won't have to enter it in until Tuesday morning and leave in 72 hours to try to peddle this house to people in their own market. And unfortunately, as the report points out, Many listing services have policies regarding such listings. The survey found that most of these rules are locally contrived and they're far from uniform. Luckily, I do believe that our multiple listing service doesn't allow this kind of shenanigans. But the big issue for you is if you want to do these types of shenanigans, is that how are you going to protect yourself from lawsuits? Because you know when the seller gets their house under contract, The nosy neighbor next door is going to say, how much did you sell your house for? Oh, wow, I had a friend who would have paid a lot more than that. And so now the seller is regretting the fact that they sold this under pocket listing and wants you to explain why you did not notify them of all the issues, concerns, and problems with the pocket listing. This is a real issue. I am seeing this day in and day out where every buyer and seller thinks there's something that the real estate agent failed to tell them or do. I often think that the the consumer is incorrect on this, but I could easily see where you do a pocket listing, somebody in your office makes an offer, they accept it, and then they find out just weeks later that they could have gotten more offer, higher price offers, better offers, had they put their house on the MLS, and now they're coming to you wanting to know why you did not advise them of such. So what do you do when your client simply wants to do a pocket listing? Well, first of all, you have to disclose the disadvantages, and you need to do this in writing. Let them know that they're not going to get broad exposure for their listed property. And not listing in the MLS is probably going to reduce their exposure and negatively impact their sales price. You should explain to them that agents from other offices are unlikely to ever be aware of this property. And then that information will not be transmitted to the various websites, internet websites that that sell real estate like Zillow and Realtors.com and the MLS websites. And that it's also likely that you as the listing agent could wind up becoming the agent for both the buyer and seller, and there could be a dual agency issue at hand. You should explain why you can't do it, and you also should explain all the advertisement bans. As I said earlier, I'm not saying that pocket listings are illegal. I'm saying they're very dangerous for you as an agent, because I do believe it sets you up for grievances. I do believe it sets you up for lawsuits. They should be done very rarely, very, very rarely. 
And if you take a pocket listing, you better not be advertising it. I think the only time you can do a pocket listing is where somebody wants to buy the, wants to sell their property. They need time to fix the property up. You should not be marketing that property to anybody in your office or outside of your office. You have an absolute duty to go over all of the risk and dangers. Now, as I mentioned earlier, your risk is an ethics complaint. That's very expensive. It's very time consuming. It's very stressful. You could also have a grievance fought against you with the Realtors Association. And now we know the quick, clear cooperation policy out there. You could be required, if found guilty of violating this rule, required to take other ethics classes. You can be fined up to $15,000 for the incident, and they can even revoke your membership. So you need to protect yourself on this. So in final thoughts, I think there's valid reason to restrict pocket listings. I think they do not encourage a level playing field. We need to be encouraging level playing fields and inclusion for all buyers and including inclusions for all buyers. And we need to um, make sure that everybody has the opportunity to see the house and that the seller has the broadest market possible for selling it. I know that you're going to have a lot of questions and how about questions about this. So if you have those questions, please feel free to email me at gary at blaircato.com and I will do a follow-up episode, I'm sure, in a few weeks to answer some of those questions. In fact, I'm trying to, I'm going to reach out to a couple of people that run the MLSs in various markets and see if we can't do a roundtable with them. Now let's roll right into our Builder Minute. A couple of weeks ago, I had Executive Construction's Eddie Yandel on the show talking about soaring lumber prices. Since then, lumber prices have just gone up even worse. I've talked to several builders, custom builders, track builders, builders like Executive Construction, asking them what they're seeing with lumber prices and how it's affecting the houses. For builders, it's making the price of the houses skyrocket. If you're trying to build a custom house, the price of your house may have gone up fifty, sixty, seventy, hundred thousand dollars since you started looking to build. And I've actually had friends who are in the middle of building houses stop because lumber prices have exploded so so bad. I'm also hearing from builders that houses that they just built and, and sold three, four months ago are now fifty, sixty thousand dollars more expensive only because of the price of the lumber is going up. So recently the uh, 37 organizations are calling for immediate attention of the United States Department of Commerce, Secretary Gina Riamondo, as well as the Biden administration to address these skyrocketing lumber prices and the supply constraints. They're endangering the economic recovery and housing affordability. And you can see that because if you start looking at what are some of the cheapest new houses you can buy in the market, it's a lot higher than they were just six, eight months ago. So it is literally pricing the lower value houses right out of the market. So the Biden administration needs to help find some remedies to boost wood production where the prices are going to continue to do nothing but skyrocket. And that's your builder minute. Now let's roll right into Gary's good news only. Well, Gary's good news only starts with a happy anniversary to everybody. It's one year ago this week that we were told 15 days to flatten the curve. It was all we needed, just 15 days. Hospitals won't be overwhelmed and everything will be fine. Well, we knew that wasn't right. Just like we've learned now that shutdowns and kids being out of school and kids being in danger of dying from COVID have all been wrong. It's amazing how many things that the media has never spoken the truth about when it comes to COVID and probably never will. It's also amazing how many times these so-called experts have been so blatantly wrong and given contradictory advice that one day and then tell you something the opposite the next day. Remember, it's also one year ago that Fauci said it was fine to go on a cruise. And then less than 48 hours later, he was saying this is the apocalypse and we all need to be locked up in our houses. So it's amazing that how many things aren't reported and how many things were completely opposite of what they said, which is why we have Gary's Good News Only, because we want to give you the good news that the media is just so blatantly refusing to give you. So let's start with the vaccine. As of 6 a.m. 
On March 15th, 135,847,000 vaccine doses have been distributed in the United States. Remember, this is the same media that told you in January there was no plan to distribute it. Somehow, in less than, what, three months, we have 135-plus million vaccines have been distributed. Of those, 109 million have been administered. Again, the media told you there was no plan to get them administered. That was completely crap. 80% of all vaccines that have been sent out have been administered. That means 71 million-plus people have received at least one or more doses of the vaccine. 38 million have received two doses. Remember, 71 million people, once you get one dose, you're starting to create immunity to it. That means 21.4% of the U.S. population has received at least one dose, while 11.5% have been fully vaccinated. We're, we're quickly going toward herd immunity. Closer to home in South Carolina, 310 new cases were reported on Monday with zero deaths. I can't remember a day we've had zero deaths. That's been twice now in the last couple of days that we've had only 300 new cases. Cases have been between 300 and 600 for well over a week or two. When you compare that to the five or 6,000 cases a day we were averaging back in January and February. In fact, U.S. cases are down 18.6% in the last two weeks, and deaths are down 31.9% in the last two weeks. Vaccines in South Carolina is now at 20.2%. Andrew Bostom, uh, Bostom tweeted this week that the U.S. COVID-era performance index was just released. And this is a concept where they rank states based on more than just COVID outcomes. They actually base it on uh, mortality, death rates, unemployment rates, in-school, uh, in-person schooling, 100 being your highest. The top five were Utah with an 89, Nebraska, Vermont, Montana, Wyoming. South Carolina was in the top half with, at number 24 with a 54 rating. Florida was number eight. Now look at the bottom five. Washington, D.C. and California were tied with a 21 rating. New Mexico, 13. Massachusetts, 13. New York, 11. New Jersey, 11. Lastly, in COVID news, Texas hospitalizations are below 4,000. It's the lowest level since October. Uh, They will likely uh, stay that way. The declining is down 73% since its peak uh, earlier this year. Now, in economic news, one quick thing for you. Home sellers looking toward record profits. The M report says just weeks away from the start of our spring home buying season, and U.S. homeowners are looking to earn record gains. CoreLogic's home equity report for the fourth quarter of 2020 shows that home buyers with mortgage, which accounts for roughly 62% of all properties, have seen their equity rise by 16.2% year over year, with a gain of $1.5 trillion plus in equity and an average gain of $26,300 per homeowner since the fourth quarter. Of 2009. So hope everybody is getting ready for the spring. I think we're going to have another hot spring market. And that's Gary's Good News Only. And that's our episode for today. I appreciate everybody tuning in. As I said earlier, I am sure that the pocket listing portion of this episode is going to create quite a few numbers of emails and comments and questions. Y'all please send them to Gary at BlairCato.com and we'll try to follow up with yet another podcast on this topic. I'll also try to get with some of the MLSs and see if I can't get somebody to come on the show to talk more about the new rules. If you like this show, we'd ask that you please like us, subscribe to us, and share us with as many realtors as you can so we can continue to grow Dish and Dirt with Gary Cooper. Until next week, hope everybody has a great weekend.